Hello everyone, I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. Welcome back to the Cave of the Cross Apologetics, and uh, we're in the, the final throes of our chapter on, uh, we've identified the idol. We've identified the, the reduction uh, that it causes, especially in, in humanity, and now we're uh, looking through the window at what these worldviews have uh, said, and uh, it, we're realizing that uh, that uh, their their claims, the, the claims made by, by real people, real scientists, real philosophers, uh, they're trying to have a worldview without God and are replacing it with their own idol. Uh, it's re reduced humanity, but okay. Uh, but now we're realizing that uh, within the scope of their own uh, worldview, uh, they can't account for things like uh, free will or uh, holding people accountable for their actions and and uh, the, and the people that the, the people that we've been calling that that that, that we've been covering uh, um, through um, uh, Nancy Piercy's. Uh, uh, wonderful um, uh, uh, qu quotations here uh, is that um, uh, th they freely admit that they're, uh, as Tony says, running into walls. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that they're saying something doesn't exist, uh, but we can't live. You know, we, we have to live with this useful fiction of free will. Uh, we can't uh, we can't not hold people accountable because society would upend. Well, again, if if uh, you know, free will is an illusion, and we're just all products of of our meat sack uh, uh, computer parts, uh, what, what does it mean to have a society? Uh, if a society won't overend because we'll just continue uh, doing what we will to survive and pass along our genes, and that's all we are is just repetitive uh, co computer parts. Yeah, yeah. So we're working our way through uh, Nancy Piercy's Finding Truth. Yeah. Right? These five principles. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, this principle number three is really interesting. She wants us then to test the idol. So we identify the idol. We identify its reductionism. And then we test it against the world, against what we know about the world, against what we know about God's creation, right? Does it contradict what we know about the world? And what we've been finding is these folks, not only does their, do their worldview contradict what they know about the world, Right. But they admit it. <laughs> they admit right. it. Right. And say, oh, well, I guess, you know, we have to live as if, you know, the world isn't the way the right. world is. But right. they're trying to be consistent within their initial claim of the, the meat sack, the, yeah. the, the computer part. Uh, all we are as um, um, slaves, slaves to our genes. So they're trying to uh, by, by, by their fingernails hold on to that that point because they don't want to uh, have this uh, idea of. Of something bigger than themselves that uh, that um, might uh, judge them or that uh, might ha rule over them, that they might be a creature. Um, they want to be, uh, you know, kind of subject to their own domain. Yeah. But then they run into these little things called facts that are out in the world that uh, they don't want to upend society or <laughs> or uh, uh, they, they want to. Uh, they have to term it uh, mystical, uh, useful fictions, right. uh, items like that. Yeah, because. Uh, even though they're in the know, they have to make sure that other people cannot be in the know in order to have a civilized society. <laughs> right. right, dangerous because, people. Yeah, that need once to be once the camp. word gets out right. uh, that you know you, you don't really have to, there is no morality. It's all an illusion. There is no free will. Mm -hmm. Well, what kind of world will we live in? So we came out of the cave to go to the cross. <laughs> I know, I know a perfect cave that we can just put them all in. So, <laughs> empty cave. That's 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 good property right there. <laughs> so we've been covering uh, these people and, and their claims, and uh, now we're kind of getting to the point of saying, hey, what your beliefs are have consequences. And so we're looking at the nature of those consequences. We've looked at things like 
uh, okay, uh, you believe that uh, we're meat sacks that uh, are just uh, uh, slaves to our genes. What what happens when we look at our own children? Uh, well, you know, hey, uh, that's just a, a endpoint. Uh, I've fathered a, a child. Uh, I've, I've raised a child. Uh, they'll continue my genes, and that's all they are. It's, it's the end prize. And then, hey, on top of that, I should get them wedded and bedded as quickly as possible because <laughs> that will make more gene r- reproductions in my lifetime. So I can be confident that my genes will continue, and that's that's all it is. Right. And we've said uh, that uh, not even we, the, the the person saying that we're just uh, meat puppets, says that we're just uh, that's uh, abhorrent. Repugnant. Yeah. 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 It's, it's... it's bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, here we continue. So MIT professors, the 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 children are machines. When God gives people up to their idols, they experience a growing conflict between their worldview and their lived realities. Uh, when uh, Nancy Piercy teaches these concepts in the classroom, example that the students find uh, especially poignant uh, is Flesh and Machines by Rodney Brooks, professor emeritus at MIT. Uh, Brooks writes that the human being is nothing but a machine, a ba- big bag of skin full of biomolecules hmm. interacting by the laws of physics and chemistry. So again, no free will, uh, no moral claims needed. In ordinary life, of course, it is difficult to actually see people that way. But he says, when I look at my children, I can, when I force myself, see that they are machines. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Love you too. <laughs> but is it that how he treats them? Of course not. And he says, that is not how I treat them. I interact with them on an entirely different level than them being machines. I mean, I, I really like my computer. I've built my computer. I've, I've fathered my, my computer in, in the way I've created it in, in, in um, my own likeness and, and how I wanted it to happen. Uh, and it sits over in the corner in the basement. I turn off the lights and I'm done with it. And I go upstairs and right. hang out right. with my real family. I'm not forced to treat it so <laughs> right. like, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, there's no force. I, I look at it as, as a machine that, that I've built and that's yeah. it. Yeah. So he goes on to say, I interact with them on an entirely different level. They have my unconditional love, the furthest one might be able to get, uh, uh, be able to get from rational analysis. Unconditional love, right? Exactly. Certainly, if that's what counts as rational in a materialistic worldview in which humans are machines, then loving your children is irrational. Right. There's no basis within Brooks' worldview. It sticks out of his box, so yeah. it must be cut off, right? Yeah. But yeah. he doesn't cut it off. <laughs> oh, that's weird. So how does he reconcile? Such a heart-wrenching cognitive distance. Well, of course, he does the best thing and realizes he's made a mistake, goes back to the drawing board. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. No, Sorry. He doesn't do Sorry, that. Sorry, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that might make him uh, uh, have to come up with a all-powerful being that uh, loves us as well. It might make him have to accept the way the world really is, mm. the way the, the creator right. really created right. it. Right. So Brooks ends by saying that I made two, two sets of inconsistent beliefs. Again, once you reach into inconsistency, that's the sign of a failed argument. Yes, and he admits it here. Yes, he and, and again, that, that's why Nancy Pierce is, is pulling these out because these are people that are trying their best to live within the scope of a non-Christian worldview, and they're freely admitting the repercussions of their beliefs mm-hmm. and that they can't do it and that they hold these, these congruent uh, uh, belief systems. Yeah, yeah. He has no defense. This is a tragedy of the postmodern age. Uh, it has reduced to nothing, uh, has reduced loving their children to nothing but useful fictions. They're tossed in the attic, which becomes a convenient dumping ground for anything that a materialist paradigm uh, cannot explain. Again, this, this, this lower part, all things physical, all things up in the attic are all the non-real things like love and free will and morality and 
uh, numbers, depending on who you are. (laughs) (laughs) The Bible teaches, though, that without God, people are morally lost, but they are also intellectually lost because they are trying to live within the limits of a worldview that is too cramped and narrow to account for their own humanity, where they suppressed uh, the the, the truth. Mm -hmm. Tragically, over time, those human ideals will inevitably lose their hold. After all, we are made in God's image as logical beings. Thus, we tend to follow the logical consequences of our premise. Again, what we believe tends to inform our actions. There, there isn't, uh, you know, um, a, a, a Nazi gene that flips on and the Nazis get to work. There, there are certain worldviews that, that come about that then inform a, a worldview and people try and live within that worldview and... Nazism is one of those results. If if someone like Brooks genuinely thinks his children are just mechanisms operating by whirling gears, that conviction will eventually erode the unconditional love he feels for Mm -hmm. them. If the leadership classes in the society generally think people are machines, uh, that uh, conviction will eventually erode political liberty. Idols have practical consequences. Yeah. And again, this is something I, I don't want to always bring up Star Trek, but Star <laughs> Trek, the, the Spock and the, and the force of logic. Uh, again, uh, even the Vulcans had to f- kind of force logic within their worldview because they still had a family system. They still had love. They still mm-hmm. um, I- interacted outside their species. And, and Spock is one of those things. And it's it's really good. It's so good. We, we should uh, <laughs> Someone should really do a, a podcast on on. Spock and, and uh, morality, moral choices here no, within the not. Christian worldview. Yeah, <laughs> just that one. <laughs> so so uh, here, uh, trying to live within a, a, a purely materialistic vantage point, w- once you take it to the logical conclusions, uh, doesn't get you where you need to be because you are having to put stuff that needs to fit in the box, outside the box, like loving your children. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. that, that, uh, that's that's hard. That's hard. Her next section here, she wants to tell us that, you know, the question is, well, why don't they just accept Christianity? Right? I mean, it, obviously, it it comports with everything that we know about the world, and we don't have to play these schizophrenic games. So why don't they accept it? And what she's going to tell us in this section is, well, maybe they believe it's too good to be true. Right. And this is a a Chesterton uh, quote that she uses here. So she says, today's Christians have an unprecedented opportunity to present the biblical worldview as a positive and life affirming. If you begin with matter operating blind mechanical forces, then logically humans cannot uh, ultimately be anything but complex machine. Your uh, starting assumptions limit the categories available to you. Right, so you only. But she says, if you begin with a transcendent personal agent, then you have a perfectly logical explanation for why humans are likewise personal agents. Right, we are like the thing that created us. The cause is adequate, she tells us, to the effect. And so she quotes Chesterton here, G. K. Chesterton. Uh, wagers that secularists reject Christianity not because it is a bad theory, but here it is. Ready. But because it seems too good to be true, right? <laughs> the materialists, uh, for the materialist, the universe is a universal prison. It shackles him in an un- interlocking chain of cause and effect. Thus, when a secularist encounters the biblical worldview, it is like believing in a fairyland to believe in such freedom. If secularists find Christianity incredible, Chesterton Chesterton concludes, that is because it is so incredibly positive in affirming a high view of human freedom and dignity, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the problem. It's maybe it's good. It's too good to be true, right? And so 
It has to be a fairy tale, right? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, again, the the building of Western civilization. I mean, not not for the whole scope of it, but uh, a, an explosion occurring around you know. Uh, uh, however you want to measure time, we'll say 0 AD, around there, uh, you know, the the fall of, of Rome should have thrown the world into complete chaos. Rome controlled pretty much the entire known world right. and, and had a big civilization. There was no way that Rome, uh, with its civilization, its culture, its monetary system, uh, you know, its political system, uh, sh- should have uh, fallen. It did. It overexpanded. Uh, those nasty galls kept coming in, <laughs> and and society uh, of the entire world should have been upended. And yes, it was, but there was a system in place, Christianity that that flourished despite the the burnings, the torture, the uh, emulations, the the Colosseum, and it grew and and fostered within it. Uh, uh, growth in in politics and science and culture and monetary supply and system. Uh, it had to compete against uh, an Islamic worldview as well, coming in with the Ottomans especially. And it, I mean, it brought us about today. And now we sit on kind of that post-Christian society, whatever that means. And 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 now, uh, you know, we want to say, oh, that, that all never meant anything. Humanism is the 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 way that the world should work, uh, and we just have never been given the opportunity, except all those other times when hu- humanism became, you know, communism and socialism right. and right. death and right. murder and disease. Yeah, the isms that yeah. kills us. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> she says that secular thinkers often criticize Christianity for being irrational. Go figure. Right. Hmm. Yet, ironically, today it is a biblical worldview that co- um, coheres in a logically consistent pattern. And so, when talking with secular people, she says. Uh, we can show them how Christianity fulfills their own highest hopes and ideals. That's what we should be doing. Now, of course, not everyone will accept material. Uh, um, who accepts materialism or naturalism uh, goes on to accept determinism, right? That mm-hmm. is that we don't have any free choice. But um, she suggests that it's only because they are not uh, as careful to work out the logical outcome of their premises, right? Because the logical outcome is determinism, right? If we're robots, then it's determinism. Sure, right. Often people um, accept ideas that sound attractive or sophisticated but do not follow those um, ideas all the way to their final implications. And so principle three here. Uh, using it, we can provide a reality check for people, right? Be careful. There's a wall coming. You're going to hurt your nose, right? People are more likely to be persuaded when they learn the negative consequences of materialism and atheism from the writings of materialists and atheists themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Joe, uh, atheist, already knows it. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, that's what Paul says. Yeah. And and uh, there's there's other writings that says, that also speak why. I mean, being haters of God is, as we all were at some point, uh, even the Christian. And and so being haters of God, you don't want to embrace that. You'll you'll do everything, <laughs> including hold inconsistent uh, viewpoints with about your own children, uh, in order to get to get that. Or you won't even think about it, in, in, which most people don't. Right. Yeah. All right, so we picked on the materialist. Now let's pick on the romanticist. <laughs> so what happens when we apply principle three, which is uh, how does how does uh, the idol 
um, uh, 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 speak against what we see in the world. Mm -hmm. As we saw earlier, an absolutize in the lower matter portion, philosophical idealism absolutizes the upper, the, the mind. It claims that ultimate reality is the mental realm of ideas. Uh, Schopenhauer describes idealism by saying that it takes eternal truths that were the foundation of all previous philosophies, investigates their origins, and finds this to be in man's head. So it's all just a product of your Our own, heads. yeah, your imagination, your yeah, mind, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever whatever that might mean. But if the eternal truths really are in man's heads, then the logical conclusion is that they are not eternal after all. They are merely human constructs, relative and changing. So, uh, you know, thou shall not murder. Only for this time and place, because it's really bad for me <laughs> for right me, now. For me, right, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an eternal truth that's in my head. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, not your head. <laughs> I'm not even sure your head exists. Yeah. So in our day, postmodernist has drawn the, this conclusion, and it holds that humans have no access to an objective or an extra mental world. Uh, it's uh, the succinct phrase of uh, made, it's a truth is made rather than found, mm, mm. Uh, which uh, I think... I mean, we, we might be getting away from that more into a different mode, but uh, for, for all intents and purposes, that, that's, I mean, that's the, been the predominant viewpoint of the world for at least the last 20 years. Yeah. And it seems to be... Probably 50 uh, to 75 well, years. Uh, yeah, I mean, within the realm of, uh, of, se- of scholars, and then it leaks it out into culture, and uh, from there uh, it gets overturned and... Uh, you know, the, 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 the next popular thing has to come about. <laughs> so um, if uh, let's ask the same question we posed to Enlightenment worldviews. Does postmodernism account for the fact of universal human experience? Can it be lived without contradiction in the real world? Or does it lead to an untenable dualism? That's what we should ask of all worldviews. The answer is, to, uh, is that it that in practice, postmodernists do not live consistently, surprise, surprise, on the basis of their own philosophy. They do not treat all ideas as human constructs, right? That, that's the big thing. All ideas are human constructs. Do you live that way? No. 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 Okay. Well, shoot. <laughs> Instead, like every, other no- <laughs> like every other normal person, they test their <laughs> mental concepts against extra mental states of affairs. Uh, so I, it's I, not all in the mind. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and they're forced to have to admit that because they have to test their, what they think is all in the mind against what things that are not in the mind are like. Right, right. right. Yeah. I believe that reality is illusion. And when I cross the street, I don't look. But, well, no, I'm definitely going to look both yeah. ways because yeah. that bread truck, is, it, it looks hurty. Yeah. <laughs> they th- they thought the the uh, the bread was in the refrigerator, but found it was in, uh, on the counter or in the bread truck that hits them. Uh, they thought their keys were on the table, but found that they were in their pocket. How? By comparing their internal thoughts with a state of affairs in the external world. Mm-hmm. They they checked it. They had That's an right. ability to kind of go out and test it. And and the world, uh, for both the materialist and and the the uh, romanticist is is the kind of the the. Um, uh, the laboratory for for testing their world. Well, it ought to be <laughs> right. We we should use the world as the as a laboratory right. for, to help them to test their worldview. So uh, Dallas Willard has said that I'll, uh, I have noticed that the most em- emphatic of postmodernists turn coldly modern when discussing their fringe benefits or other matters that make a great difference uh, to their practical life. If we use the metaphor that the worldview is a mental map, postmodernists keep walking off the edge of their map. It's too small <laughs> to account for the full geography of where they are at. 
Those who deny that they have access to an external reality still look both ways before crossing the street. Yep. They avoid jumping off balconies. They hold Amazing. their breath underwater. In other words, they know that there is an extra mental reality. It's just those pesky other ones like, uh, you know, a universal truths of, of uh, you know, uh, human value and, uh, right. you know, the stuff that I don't want to buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. The things that lend uh, further credence to uh, God being able to tell us uh, what to do. In other words, they know that there is an extra mental reality to which they must adapt their behaviors. Otherwise, the consequences will be disastrous, like death, dismember it, <laughs> uh, not, uh, not interacting on the same plane as, as their friends. That's right. I mean, Crashing it, and burning when they walk off the building. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just having a, a social system within themselves uh, isn't, isn't enough. They still, they still have a, a group mentality. They're, they're not isolationists. And if they are, they don't live that long. Uh, Christianity explains why truth is not merely a human con uh, const construction. The world is not a creation of our own mind. It is uh, the handiwork of God. The human mind cannot usurp the creator's role and function. Again, we're the creature. God is the creator. The biblical con concept of creation gives logical grounds to support what humans inescapably conclude by experience from the time we are toddlers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark Rotary concedes that very idea of objective truth, a truth that is out there, makes sense only on the basis of the Christian worldview. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, an idea that is human independent. Right. The suggestion that truth is out there is a legacy of an age in which the world has seen as the creation of a being who had a language of his own, a non-human language, whoops, <laughs> written into the cosmos. Yeah. So it's, it's hearkening back to this Christian image that embraces since, you know, the very foundations of the church, that right. the book is the, uh, the, the book of God's word, which is the Bible, and the book of God's world, which is nature. Because the world itself is a kind of book, there is a message and meaning written in the cosmos itself. Uh, and, and it's not just a, oh, I looked at the beauty of nature, and, and there it was. Mm -hmm. uh, every part was, of, of the universe, part. yeah, every <laughs> part of the universe speaks to the 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 nature and the logic and the, the setup that, that uh, a, 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 a creature uh, wouldn't be able to, um, to, to make. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the universe couldn't make itself. Uh, it has to be something bigger. There has to be a creator. Yeah, good. Right. Her next section here, she is entitled, Don't Impose Your Facts, right? Yeah. She says, uh, earlier we learned that all idols lead to a mental dichotomy or dualism and that postmodernism is no exception. Philosophers like William Lane Craig point out that, the, that virtually no one uh, applies postmodernism consistently across the board. People are not relativistic, he says, when it comes to matters of science, engineering, and technology, <laughs> whether they are, rather they are relativistic and pluralistic in matters of Religion and ethics, right? So uh, it's not real when you talk about God, but if you want to build a building, then mm -hmm. it's real. That's right. Yeah. It's not real when you talk about morally right and wrong, but, you know, if, if you want to drive a car, then, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. In short, he's, uh, you know, she says they apply their postmodern skepticism selectively, right, just to the things that. So thinking of it this way, we often hear people say, don't impose your religion on me. <laughs> but we never hear people say, don't impose your facts on me me, right? Why not? Because facts are assumed to be objective and universal and binding on everybody. Right. right? Or at least person independent. Right. Yeah. yeah. The upshot is that most people function as modernists and postmodernists depending on their situation, hmm. right? Situation 
uh, metaphysics. Right. Uh, abortion bad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a right triangle is 90 degrees. All right. Fine. You can tell me You can tell me what a, tri- a right triangle is. So in dealing with religion and morality, most people no longer think in terms of true and false. They no longer look to religion for the explanatory system to answer the cosmic questions of life. Instead, she tells us, they choose a religion uh, the way they choose a wallpaper pattern or an item on, on a menu, right? And she uh, quotes, uh, she's mentioning uh, philosopher Ernest uh, Gellner here. It's become an area of life where it is considered acceptable to act on the basis purely of personal taste or feelings. By contrast, Gellner says, when serious issues are at stake, right, like making money or meeting medical needs, then people want solutions based on real knowledge. Oh, right? no, not the fake knowledge, <laughs> real knowledge. They want to know the test outcomes of a, uh, objective science and research. Right. And again, remember our, the, the scope that we're talking about here. It's the romanticists, the, those right. that's, that say that uh, those real systems are just products of the mind. That's right. right. Products of the mind, yeah. So what she says is this means that people, um, uh, most people live fragmented lives, right? Right. In the private world of home, church, and relationships, they operate on a postmodern view of truth as subjective and relative. It's, you know, what people, whatever you think, whatever religion you want, that's what's true for you. <laughs> Something else is true for me, right. right? That's relativism. But in the public world of work, business, and finance, they operate on a modernistic view of truth as objective and verifiable. Hey, my bank account isn't balancing. They did something wrong. I'm going to go make sure we get it right, right? No, that's just what their tr- their truth is. No, it isn't. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so in short, they no longer live as a whole person uh, with consistent, coherent, philosophical, uh, with, a, uh, with a consistent philosophical life. And so no wonder, she says, that the philosopher Louis Dupree uh, says that the central challenge of our age is the lack of any integrating truth. Quote, we experience our culture as fragmented. We live on bits of meaning and lack uh, the overall vision that holds them together in a whole. As a result, she tells us people feel an intense need for self-integration. Christianity has the power to integrate our our lives and create a coherent uh, personality for people. So our commitment uh, to Christian truth cannot simply remain one discrete part of life. Dupree tells us that it must integrate all of other aspects of uh, existence. Anything less is neither beautiful nor compelling. Yeah. So even within this this fragmentation, uh, you know, if they said then, well, okay, we, we just live uh, in this, this fragmented way and um, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't really care or it, it doesn't bother me in some way. But no, everyone is trying to um, find a, a all-encompassing worldview that is uh, 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 distant from Christianity and is all-encompassing in explanation because, uh, you know, to, to hold this, this double-mindedness isn't, isn't possible, we, and, but yet we, we see it. We, we see that's how it's played out, and th- there you have your, your box in the first floor and your box in the attic. Um, but uh, but if they were living consistently, they would say, "Well, yeah, I live fragmentary, and that's fine." Right. Well, okay, right. great. So yeah, yeah. So well, and that's what we saw earlier right. with, with the guys we were looking at, right? Yeah, it's fragmented, but that's just the way you have to live, right? Right. 
You have to live as if morality is true or as if truth exists. For them, you have to live as if truth exists, right. we might say. And so uh, uh, Nancy Pierce uh, t- talks about giving this uh, talk at, uh, at uh, Harvard and one of the— Harvard. Harvard, Harvard. Yeah. yeah. They come up uh, and tell her uh, that uh, th- these, uh, these people, they-, they know their theories don't explain ordinary life outside the lab. Yeah. So this guy's mad, right? Why are you doing <laughs> yeah. this? But why right? throw it in their faces? Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting. She so says, this is a real guy that came up to her and said this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, you know, uh, so, so what? Uh, algebra only works in the lab. It doesn't mean that you can take it outside and launch rocket, rockets with it. Why are you being so mean? Algebra's fine. No, that's, that's not what it is. These scientists and philosophers know that their theories do not fit the real world. And in Romans 1, Paul says the testimony of general revelation is knowable by everyone. Again, this agreement with uh, what Scripture is saying. When we read Romans 1, uh, that those who worship idols are without excuse, those words may seem harsh. And in this chapter, however, we have met several scholars who openly acknowledge that their reductionist theories clash with the facts of the experience. They are aware at, at some level that they harbor a severe contradiction. They're Perfect says this type of inner conflict is actually quite common. And addressing his fellow philosophers, he writes, at a reflective or intellectual level, we may be convinced that some view is true, but at another level, one that engages more directly with our emotions, we may continue to think and feel as if some other view were true. Again, uh, feelings uh, that belong up top. Uh, what's what's uh, real uh, is is in the box. Only, yeah, only yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. Many of us, I suspect, have a inconsistent belief about the metaphysical question that concerns us most, such as free will, consciousness, and self. This is what they have to deal with. Yeah. yeah. So, how so, do philosophers justify this? Well, they just have a double truth theory. <laughs> uh, they are hardwired to hold certain ideas as true in terms of first-person experiences. And then some uh, ideas is false according to science. <laughs> so experience versus science. So uh, you know, it does does science and faith have a conflict? The, the real question is, does science and experience within uh, the the scope of these scientists themselves, uh, these materialists, these um, uh, romanticists, uh, uh, you know, is there a conflict there? That seems to be the the better question. And intelligent agents, uh, as intelligent agents, we are compelled to believe, compelled to believe, again, there's your, your, uh, your uh, keywords there, certain things, uh, compelled to believe certain things. Most importantly, that our will is free, that we ourselves, uh, that persist through time, that there are moral truths that can be universalized, mm-hmm. beliefs that, which as individuals committed to science, we yet know to be false. And again, this false according to materialist con- uh, conception of science. So, uh, you know, th- these things fall outside their theory. And so they must be illusions. Uh, they-, they must uh, uh, be of a former time, but it may be useful to keep society going and That's all right. that stuff. That's right. All that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Whoops, wait, can't say good. <laughs> to acknowledge the evidence from general elevation would point them towards the biblical God, and so they suppress the evidence because that's what they desire to. That's what their free will within the confines of uh, any scope of their ability to be free uh, it, it gives them. Right. And, they, and they admit it, right? Yeah. Francis Crick is, is who she's, uh, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Watson uh, here expresses his religious motivation. Discovery of double helix, he said, gives grounds for thinking that Powers held traditionally to be exclusive property rights of the gods might one day be ours. Yay. So we, we get to supplant God. Yeah. At least for some, the purpose of uh, proposing reductionist theories is to deny the creator and to extrapolate his uh, or expropriate his divine powers. 
which is essentially what Romans 1 says that they would do. Yeah, good. So um, she's in at Harvard. She's going to, uh, you know, give this talk. She gives this talk. This Harvard professor comes up to her and tells her, you know, they know their theories uh, don't explain ordinary life. Why are you throwing it into their face, right? Yeah, and that's so just mean. That's not, that's not uh, <laughs> being a good colleague. That's right. Yeah. And so she says the first thing that struck her was that uh, he had let slip an amazing admission that these scientists and philosophers know that their theories do not fit the world, right? right? Which, the, which, in any other theory, you submit your paper. Here's my theory. Here's my test. Can you can you look at it? Yeah. Friends, colleagues. Yeah. Oh, here's make sure it fits the world. Yeah. Here's <laughs> here's this thing uh, that that I found. It 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 doesn't fit. Uh, you love your children. Oh, it's been falsified. <laughs> or right. yeah. or let me look at it again and see if if it is falsified or if I can save it in some capacity. Right. You're angry because the bank didn't balance your check. <laughs> uh, that's what's falsified. Yeah. 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 Why isn't there a million dollars? So that's the first thing, right? They know, right? They know that their theories are, are fit. Right. And he let this slip. The second thing that this guy let slip, this Harvard prof- professor, she says, the second thing that struck me about the Harvard professor's comment was that he characterized an analysis of someone's worldview as, quote, throwing it in their faces, right? The goal of testing worldview should never, she tells us, to be uh, to, uh, to be uh, attacked to be uh, attack those who hold them, but to open their minds to a better alternative. Right. Our, in other words, our goal isn't to attack. It isn't to put people down. It isn't to make them feel silly and that sort of thing. Right. We're to, we're to persuade people, but gently. Yeah. Right? And with compassion. Yeah, is, if, is if, you, if you read Paul in Romans one, there's not a. Uh, uh, you know, uh, here's here's all the things that will happen. Here's all the sins that they 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 will commit uh, and and do, and hate them for it, and and laugh at them, and and show them you know no mercy. Well, no, he he goes on to say this is what an unbelieving people do, and mm-hmm. so here here's a way that we can um, um, preach the gospel to them. Yeah, good. Yeah, so she says <clears throat> people often hold half baked ideas that they would reject if they really understood clearly where those ideas led. So one of the things that we're trying to do is to clarify their thinking, especially in terms of the consequences of their ideas, right? And so she says an effective method of apologetics can be to gently press people to think more carefully by peeling away the protective layers so that they can see the implications of their views more clearly. Only then will they be truly free to make tough decisions and choices about their fundamental convictions, right? So Christian's motive in apologetics should be a God-inspired grief for the loss, Mm -hmm. right? Not to win an argument or to put somebody else down or to make myself feel better, right? When talking to people trapped in a secular worldview, we can help them to see that it gives no basis for the realities of life that they themselves care most about. The very fact that they cannot live within its cramped confines is a sign that they were made to live in a larger, richer, conceptual universe. Secularism, she tells us, secularism is too small for secularists. It's just <laughs> too small. And so she said we should begin by expressing solidarity with their deepest longings for meaning and significance and then show that in a biblical worldview, those longings are not merely illusions or useful fictions, but living realities. This is the way the world really is, right? We often hear stereotypes, she tells us, about the 
uh, that Christianity is negative and repressive and that it regards human nature as corrupt and worthless, that it places little value on, the, on uh, life in the world. But in reality, the Christian worldview has a much higher view of human life than any competing system. It gives a logical basis for the facts of experience that are denied by the dominant secular worldviews of our day, freedom, creativity, love, personal significance, genuine truth. How can we be anything but loving and joyful in communicating such a life-giving message? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, if, if that's not your goal, if your goal is to, to get the most likes on Twitter, if it's, <laughs> they have the, the, the best Ubern, um, you know, it, the, then you are living inconsistent within your own worldview as, as, as a self-proclaimed Christian. Good. And the, the other common negative stereotype, she says, about Christianity is that it's irrational. Right? It doesn't make sense or it's contradictory. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah. She says in the next chapter, which we'll, we'll do next time, uh, you'll learn how to turn the tables on that charge, that Christianity is irrational, to show that it is really, um, in reality, it's idols that lead to irrationality and self-contradictory worldviews yeah. and not Christianity. I think this is the fun part. <laughs> yeah. And you'll learn a simple yet devastating strategy, she tells us, to demonstrate how idolatrous worldviews shoot themselves in the foot right? yeah <laughs> putting it mildly <laughs> yeah. All right. and so next time we'll, we'll look at principle number four yes right? uh, I think we might do a little review though uh, and and uh, uh, we'll, we'll have kind of a, an overview of, of certain things that, so, so um, we're, we'll take a little bit break but we'll still be within the book itself and uh, um, after that then we'll we'll try and finish this book up uh, uh, for parts four and five of, of the five principles for unmasking atheism, secularism, and other God substitutes. So again, uh, th thanks for, uh, for uh, watching us and, um, you know, uh, d during whatever time frame you're watching this in the future, um, uh, hopefully we're still all alive and, uh, and we're all laughing about it and uh, we still have money in our pockets too. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for joining us and uh, keep watching and let us know uh, what you think. And, yeah. uh, we always appreciate it. So thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you for all those who, are, who uh, have subscribed and we, we appreciate that. That's really helpful. We'll see you next time.